0: Welcome to 10 Blocks, the podcast of City Journal. This is Seth Barron, your host for today. I'm the associate editor of City Journal. I'm joined by Nicole Gelinas, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a contributing editor to City Journal, and the author of a recent piece for City Journal called West Side Storm. Nicole, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Seth. Good to be on with you again.
0: So we're talking about your articles about the the Upper West Side and you reference some goings on in the neighborhood that have sparked a lot of interest in in the media. What what's happening in your in in this neighborhood which happens to be your neighborhood?
1: Yeah, a little north of my neighborhood, but what was striking last week is the Upper West Side had two random attacks within the space of 24 hours. A man eating outside for dinner with his wife was punched for no reason by an apparently disturbed person whose last uh, address was a homeless shelter. And a woman coming out of the 72nd street subway station was stabbed also by a random stranger. And so in a neighborhood where the two police precincts usually have far fewer than one assault a day in a given year, uh, striking to have two random assaults. Now, of course, uh, you could have two crimes in in one day, just the, the bad luck of the draw in in any time. But it comes on. it, it, it comes in the context of crime data. It is not very good for the neighborhood or the city. You know, the, these same two police precincts, the 20th and the 24th, last year between them they had one murder so far for the year. This year they've had eight murders uh, this year, and that 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 in turn mirrors the citywide trend. If if we go up to the first week in August, the murder rate for the city overall is up by 31%. We've had 237 murders this year instead of 181. Uh, Shootings have doubled over over the the course of the first seven months of the year. So it's very hard, you know, a, a lot of the sort of uh, newcomer urbanists who don't like to talk about crime, they spent a lot of the first few months of the pandemic minimizing this, that there's no crime spike. There's just, you know, a couple of random events that we should ignore, you know, that crime isn't rising. Very, very difficult to make that argument now. I mean, cl- crime has clearly been rising since, uh, since Memorial Day in June and well, July. The number's not very good.
0: Well, hold on a second your own piece contradicts what you just said, because you said assaults in the area are down 13% and robberies are flat. So that indicates that, yes, well, murders may be up, but other crimes are down. So how do you respond to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's striking that during the month of of April, uh, half of March and going into May, people were not really supposed to go outside. I mean, you weren't supposed to go out except for essential chores, like going to the supermarket or getting some exercise. Everything in the city was closed and much of it is still closed. I mean, cultural institutions are still closed. Uh, Indoor dining is still closed. Retail stores are, you know, sort of, they're allowed to be open, but a lot of them are still closed. So uh, foot traffic was down enormously, but yet, crime didn't uh, did not fall concurrent with the fall in foot traffic, and you see that it, particularly in the subway system, where they actually keep very good track of foot traffic, unlike people walking around on the street. Where accounting for the lower foot traffic for the the three months of the pandemic, you know, April, May, June, uh, that they have data for, every single subway rider had a six times higher Risk of being robbed a five times higher risk of being assaulted relative to last year
0: Hmm. I see and I, I guess they have uh suggested that many people in Manhattan have left the city too, so I guess what you're saying is that there's there's a lot that in a sense the crime should be much lower given the lower foot traffic and the uh you know the number of people who've left um. We-
1: yeah. I mean, we, we have garbage pickup data that in the in the Upper West Side alone, residential garbage pickup was down 11% in June compared to last June, when, of course, if people are home all the time, they should be generating more residential garbage.
0: Um, so what else is going on on the Upper West Side? They've been talking a lot about uh, hotels that they've uh, turned into places for people who are sick. What's what's happening with the hotels up there?
1: Right. I mean, with with the tourism industry completely dead, with business travel completely dead, these hotels are empty, and so the city has been taking over empty hotels at close to two hundred dollars a night per per hotel room, and putting homeless adult men in these hotel rooms so that they are not in a a communal shelter like the Bellevue Men's Shelter anymore. And they're doing that indefinitely. I mean, the mayor said last week homeless adult men will be in these hotel room shelters until the pandemic is over, which, you know, depending on your definition of when the pandemic is over, this could be years. So it just so happens there are three mid-sized boutique hotels up on the Upper West Side all within a couple of blocks of each other that are now populated by adult homeless men. Now of course you know we we have to we can't leave people with uh, mental illness and drug addiction and alcohol addiction to their own devices but the problem is th- 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 this population needs a lot of support as our colleague Stephen Eide would say and unfortunately, they're pretty much just left to their own devices during the day. And so they're, they're out on the Upper West Side, uh, not, not really very much constructive for them to do. So, you know, they're openly drinking, openly shooting up drugs, uh, harassing women and so forth. You know, certainly, of course, not all of them or not even most of them, but enough that it is really harming the equilibrium of the neighborhood.
0: And is there also homeless encampments or people camping out on the street?
1: Uh, not there. I mean, there's certainly people congregating into daytime in a park and doing things like open drinking or open drug use. But in other parts of the city, you know, under under scaffolding uh, on the Lower East Side and so forth, yes, we've seen homeless encampments. in the city, to its credit, When it hears of an encampment, it goes and takes it down, but the people are right back there the next day setting up the encampment again.
0: So um, if this is going to be the new semi-permanent state of affairs, well, what's wrong with that? If these hotels are empty, um, why not convert them to, to housing for people who need housing?
1: Well, this is not a good long-term housing solution on many levels. I mean, first of all, a hotel is not really an apartment. You know, there's no kitchen facility. It's, uh, you know, very small, isolated. You know, if you've ever done business travel, it's not. I mean, unless you're staying in an amazing suite somewhere, it's okay for the night, but you wouldn't want to live there. And secondly, the you know again, as Steve and I might say, the 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 biggest problem with a lot of these adult men is that the lack of a house is a symptom of the problem. It's not the underlying problem. You know, the underlying problem is drug addiction, alcohol addiction, addiction, severe mental illness. These are the things that prevent these men from working and leading a stable life, which is why they end up homeless. So you're kind of putting the cart before the horse and saying, okay, we'll give you this hotel room, but you don't have to participate in a program where every step that you pass and every milestone that you meet, those are the steps toward getting a job and then being able to contribute something to getting your own apartment in a supported facility. You know, just doing this in hotels doesn't get you there. And it is, it is massively destabilizing for the neighborhood. I mean, people might say, well, well, who cares? You know, why should these rich people on the Upper West Side? Why should they, why should they not have to put up with what the rest of the city is putting up with? But nobody should have to put, put up with this disorder on the street. And in a practical way, this is just going to result in people with means going to live in gated communities, the middle class going to live in the suburbs, and really nobody left to fund these social services. Well,
0: um, you know, there's been some talk about this issue lately uh, with, like, um, you know, AOC and some more liberal members of the congressional delegation in the state and also local politicians saying, what well, we'll, what we need to do is... You know, tax the billionaires, tax everybody very, very, very strongly. And uh, Cuomo, the governor, says, no, that's a bad idea. And de Blasio made a comment the other day that he doesn't really, if people are going to flee the city, well, that's fine. They're just fair weather friends. They'll be replaced. And he's interested in the working people and taking care of the working people of the city Um, or, I guess, the people who don't work. Uh, as well. Uh, maybe he would include them. But um, so what do you, what do you think about this debate? How is this going to how is this going to reconcile? Is it really important for us to worry about keeping the billionaires happy?
1: Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, they don't know that if you make above half a million dollars a year for a family, which is certainly a lot of money, you're you're doing well, your tax rate at the state and local level, is already pretty high i mean you're you're starting to pay upwards of 12 13 of your income to the state in the city so considering that many states don't have an income tax you know uh, florida arizona texas there is a big incentive to relocate somewhere else and of course that incentive has only grown Because right now, if you are a billionaire or you're into tens of millions of dollars, there aren't a lot of reasons to be in the city. I mean, even if you have a really nice big apartment, it's still an apartment, your outdoor space is still pretty constrained to a backyard or a roof deck. And so you have to be thinking, do I want my family and my kids to be going out on the street walking the dog at night with robberies, you know, a spate of robberies on the Upper East Side last week, robberies down along Park Avenue South in the past few months? And one of the things that draws high income people to the city, ability to make money in the financial industry Financial industry has proven over the past five months it can do this work from home. You know, maybe people aren't going to work five days a week at home for the rest of their lives. But just the idea that you have to come into Manhattan five days a week is pretty much completely indefinitely dead. The other thing is cultural events. You know, a lot of wealthier people, they like to go to art shows. They like to go to the opera. They like to go to... Uh, fancy dinners, you know, they like to go to expensive restaurants with their friends. Basically, all of that is closed right now, or if it's not closed, you know, you can eat outside. A lot of older people in particular are just afraid of partaking in those things, and that's going to be the case at least until the end of the year. So if you're talking about new tax increases on a class of people that is not even here right now, you know, that's you're you are really playing a dangerous game there. And that people might, might just say, and will say, you know what, I don't have to come back here to be vilified and to pay an even higher tax rate for basically uh, a, a reduced level of public services in terms of public safety.
0: Um, well, that's an interesting point, but what's happening with, With businesses across the city, are we seeing the kind of closures that have been predicted or was that all sort of um, blown out of proportion?
1: Well, I think it's a little early to tell in the long term. I mean, there are certainly some bad signs. Yes, if you look at the universe of small businesses, you know, small restaurants, small retail stores, uh, one study a couple weeks ago said that uh, 40% of these small restaurants, small stores, could end up going out of business uh, because even if you you've put out tables for people to dine outside, it's not as much capacity usually as you have in the restaurants, uh, and it's it's going to get start to get cold. I mean November, December, you know, going into early next year. If we can't pack people into restaurants inside safely, they're going to be looking at substantially reduced income again. When they still owe this back rent for March, April, May, June, you know, the city never set up a mediation process for them to work with the property owners. And the property owners, in in turn, have gotten no relief. On their property taxes as for larger businesses you know corporations that have a white-collar workforce in new york as well as larger retailers you know i think one of the risks they have to think about is what happened in chicago uh, over the past couple days are we going to have a pattern of looting and unrest and property damage every couple of months now and is that something i have to build into do I want my workforce to come back to commuting in Manhattan? Well, are they going to be disrupted from doing that every couple of months with massive uh, civil unrest actions on on major central urban thoroughfares?
0: Hmm. So uh, things aren't sounding so great from the way you put it. Uh, what about this idea of canceling rent? Uh, Senator, uh, State Senator Julia Salazar and Assembly Member Eulene you have this proposal to, um, to cancel rent. Uh, ha, ha, do you think that'll work? If, like if we just get rid of all residential rent from March on, like that can never be connect, collected until the pandemic ends. And I think they want like 90 days after the pandemic is over. Um, what would be the impact of something like this? Then people would have all this extra money.
1: Well, you're talking about the residential side. I think it's very different from the commercial side. On the commercial side for a small restaurant or retailer, by law, they basically were not allowed to use their retail property the way it was supposed to be used, starting from the end of March and in some capacity with not being able to to have as many people in the store or restaurant up until now still not able to use the property for the purpose it was intended so i think there's a there's a real case and we'll start to see the commercial side go through the courts that if the business was shut down by the state through no fault of your own you, you should you should receive some rent relief the the risk of that happening has to be shared with the property owner. And practically speaking, the property owner, they're not gonna get another tenant in there. I mean, it is not in their best interest to kick out your restaurant and wait another two years to get another restaurant. But I think with the residential side, it's very different because people are still using their apartments in the, in the manner that the apartments are meant to be used in. I mean, you're still living in your apartment. So there's kind of like three categories of people people who willingly broke their lease because they don't want to be in the city anymore. Some of them because they lost jobs, some of them because they can work at home, some of them because they don't feel that it's a good public health situation. The other is people who are still living in their apartment but can't pay the rent because maybe they're undocumented immigrants, so they weren't eligible for this uh, extraordinary pandemic uh, aid. And then the third category is people still living in their their apartment and paying the rent. So I think with people who broke their lease and left, at least they're they're gone. You know, the landlord they, they may have to go after them in court. Probably get some kind of partial settlement, but it's not an own ongoing situation where the property owner has a tenant in place who's not paying. I think with people who aren't paying the rent but are still living in the apartment, we're going to need some kind of consistent, predictable mediation process outside of the court system where the first question is, if you were paying the rent before because you had a job, why didn't you benefit from this extraordinary unemployment aid that Congress may or may not uh, extend, but was certainly in place until last week? If you were eligible for that aid, you should be using that aid to pay the rent. That's the whole purpose of the social safety net so that people can remain current on their rent, on their uh, you know food and, and sustenance needs. So that's a big unanswered question is, with all of this extraordinary federal aid that was enacted in April, why are so many people not paying the rents? You know, and I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's that's the first thing. But no, you can't, it is not a long-term solution to say we're just going to cancel the rents. You know, property owners do have these monthly operating costs. They do have monthly capital and, and maintenance costs. That's not to say that the market hasn't changed and that, uh, as leases expire, people are going to renegotiate better deals with their landlords. But the reality is, you cannot move this this burden from the tenants from the federal government onto small residential property owners.
0: Well, it seems like they're trying. Uh, difficult times ahead, it appears, Nicole. Uh, if you if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please uh, leave ratings on uh, iTunes. Uh, and you can always follow us on Twitter, hashtag 10blocks at City Journal. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, and thank you, Nicole, for being on the show. Thank you, Seth. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.